Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. Matthew, chapter 4. And what we come to do is obviously praise and worship the only name that does make a difference. I mean, it is the name that once you have it, how could you want more? How, how, how could you want more than what Jesus himself could offer you? Jesus himself gives us all the strength we need each day. And I am personally blessed by that, and I know you are too. Because there are moments where, where I don't know if I, I could literally make it through the day if it were not for Jesus himself and for who he is and for what he does in my life. I will tell you this, though, especially when difficult moments come, especially when temptation comes. Now, I, I know none of you experience temptation. Well, three of you. I can count you, all right? But especially when temptation comes, how Jesus somehow gives us not only an example of how we are to live holiness, but he also gives us the strength and the power to overcome sin itself. Why? Because Jesus is the Holy One. Think about that this morning. Even as we worshiped, even as we have come together, I pray that we have sensed his presence, but I, I pray also that we have come with this very awesome sense of awesome recognition that he is totally different from who we are. He is so different. He, he, he is not like us. You know, if I were showing up on Sunday mornings just to worship somebody like us, then, then I think I would be disappointed. As a matter of fact, my worship would not be too, uh, well, it would not be too exciting at all because if it's just somebody else that we're worshiping, if it's just a preacher, if it's just a, uh, some recognized individual that we are giving a claim to, then we will always fall short in our expectations and anticipation. But when we come and recognize that Jesus is totally different from us, he is the holy other, he is so different from who we are, it gets us fired up. I hope it does as we worship him and celebrate him because there is no one else like him. He is the Holy One. And somehow, the Holy One gives us the power and the strength that I mentioned earlier to live a life of holiness and righteousness. Matthew chapter 4, we have a, a demonstration of Jesus' holiness. We see how Jesus himself faced temptation and how he overcame temptation. And for us, we will recognize through this, hopefully, that we face temptation as well. And that we can, through his power and his strength alone, overcome that temptation in our lives. So Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you da dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, 
All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and ministered to him. Matthew chapter 4 is said in the context of Jesus' public ministry as it's been initiated, as he is going out into the desert, into the wilderness, to somehow commune with God as he, he begins this important time and this important moment. And then right upon the heels of, uh, of affirmation, somehow devil, the devil comes to attack. It, as I was reading through this, I, I, I really, I mean, there's so much of this that you and I can relate to, right? Of dealing with temptation. Maybe not in the same way Jesus did, but we can certainly relate to this. Think about this. The context of this passage. What we studied last week was the baptism of Jesus, the water baptism of Jesus. Jesus had come to John the baptizer, and he had wanted to launch his ministry. So he did this by being baptized. He initiated the public ministry. And you remember this wonderful, beautiful scene that you find there at the end of Matthew 3. And that is this affirmation of the Father upon the Son. When Jesus comes up out of the water, the Father speaks. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is descending in that same type of time. So you have this beautiful scene. Now, I mean, it's great affirmation. Jesus just heard the Father speak and said, I'm proud of you, Son. I love you. Know that I'm approving of what you do. It was a high moment. Man, don't you love high moments? The Lord is listening this morning. If you don't appreciate them, he may not give you as many of them. I love high moments. I love those blessed times where the Father demonstrates his favor in our lives. I love that. I mean, just like when Ole Miss beats... Never mind. That's uh, next year. It's always next year for us. Always. There is... There are those moments that, that we just in, enjoy. We love the favor of God upon us. And here the Father is spoken out of heaven. The Spirit has demonstrated His presence upon Jesus' life. And then Jesus is going out on this spiritual retreat again to commune with the Father. What happens? The affirmation of the Father is followed by the attack of the devil. And I've seen that in my life. I don't know if you have, but just the moment where I've had this high mountaintop experience where the Father has just blessed me with His favor, it seems like just when I walk out the door or come down from the mountain maybe, Satan is right there to bring temptation. He is ready to attack. He is ready to come at us. So I want you to see like, Jesus, he's just experienced this great high, this great affirmation. He's going into the wilderness, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he has fasted. And again, the reason you fast is to seek to commune with the Father and to somehow develop that relationship. So for 40 days and 40 nights, just like Moses did, just like Moses did in Exodus 34, 28, Jesus had been communing with the Father and developing that relationship. And in that moment, Satan launches his attack. The attack of the devil himself comes upon Jesus. 
I just would point this out as we move through this passage that you and I need to recognize that evil is real, but Satan himself is real. Satan is not just some impersonal force. He's not some concept. He is not just some idea that we have come up with in the church to speak about evil. Satan himself is a personal being. And Satan here launches an attack upon Jesus, the Son of God. Now notice the words that are used there to describe him. The scripture says the devil. Most of the time we've heard that language as we uh, have grown up in our churches or even in our communities or our culture. We all know this idea of the devil, the diabolical one, the, the evil one. Now, most of the time, I know Halloween is coming up soon. There, there are people who dress up in costumes and, and, you know, in different ways. And in years past, the devil has been represented in, in some, of course, with some different images. But some of you think of him probably with the horns, right? The tail and the pitchfork. Some, some of you? Yes? Well, let me tell you that in a sense, when that kind of description was, was brought about, that depiction was brought about, it was to make fun of him in a sense. It, it, was, to, it was to laugh at the devil himself. I would just say to you, though, that you better not be lulled into some type of um, expectation that this devil always conforms to that type of image. You need to know that that devil that lives, that devil that is a being, a personal being, he has a lot of strength and a lot of power. And he can come against you. The word devil in the scripture actually means like slanderer, accuser. That, that's what it means when you look at the Greek language. It means he is the one who will bring slander against you and accusation. Here in our blended service a moment ago, and I know some of you are there in the gathering, but we sang a song which talked about the one who would stand and make accusation against us. That is the devil. He will accuse and he will slander the people of God. He will come against the Son of God and he will come against the people of God. The devil. Another word that's used here is the tempter. Now I went back and did a little bit of work in the original language there. And really, if I were to translate it, I would translate it, the one who goes on tempting. Or as some people have suggested, the one who would cause you to sin. He seeks to cause you to sin. Can you think about that just a moment? There is a person out there that is bent on seeing you fall. That's what he wants to do. He wants to see you mess up. He wants to see you have a moral failure in your life. He wants to see you compromised ethically. He wants to do that. And he goes on doing it. That's what I noticed about that passage when I looked. It was a present tense participle. Ooh. Some of you are thinking, I didn't come to church this morning here about participles. I had enough of that in school. But it's a present tense, which means that it is an ongoing process. Like, he, he is constantly, constantly trying to make people fall. He is constantly tempting individuals. The third word that's used here later on when Jesus will refer to him in verse 10 is the word Satan. 
Satan. Now, the devil, the diabolical one, is kind of the Greek idea. The word Satan, that title, is more of a Hebrew idea. And what Satan meant to the Hebrews, to the Jews, that word Satan meant adversary, the enemy. So don't miss it. He's not some type of spiritual force. He's not some type. He is a personal being. He is bent on accusation, slander. All he wants to do is cause the people of God to sin. He wants to continue to tempt them because he is truly the adversary. He is the enemy. I need to move on, but let me just say this. You and I too often think of the adversary as flesh and blood. And we live in a culture, it seems, that pegs enemies on one side or the other, depending on views and those kinds of things. I want you to know that for us as a church, the enemy is not just flesh and blood. The enemy is the personal being called Satan, the devil, that will come at us and tempt us. And once we get our eyes on other things and we're trying to fuss about everything else, that's when Satan will try to make his move to really destroy us. Don't you forget who the enemy is. Don't you forget that it is Satan, the devil, who is coming against God's people constantly. He is the tempter, the slanderer, the accuser. What I've noticed about this passage is that he will often attack when we are at our weakest moment. Or I would even say a lot of times he will attack us when we're alone. Jesus is in the wilderness, the desert. He's out by himself. And here Satan comes to bring temptation. It's amazing how in my life Satan can bring temptation when I'm by myself or at the very least other people can't see. That's when temptation truly occurs. It can, it, he can come at us because while this Satan is a personal being, he is a knowledgeable being. Now listen, I did not say he's omniscient. What do I mean by that? Satan is not all-knowing. He's not like God. Any day of the week, any moment of our life, you and I need to understand that God is more powerful than Satan. But he's still powerful. And he still knows. So he watches our lives. And he will attack us at some of the weakest moments in the weakest areas. For example, look at the first temptation. The scripture says that when the tempter comes, the one who goes on tempting, he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, you know all you have to do is to command these stones to be bread and that will happen. So why don't you command the stones to be bread? Now, why would Satan choose such... Um, I mean, really, such a temptation to bring to Jesus. Bread. I mean, how many of us would be... I know some of us are tempted by bread. I love to go to those restaurants, you know, where they served the little bread before. I, I, I mean, it comes out on its own little plate. You know what I'm talking about? It's got like a liberal amount of butter on the side. It is hot. You, you, can, you can sense the heat coming from it. And you can sense the taste and you can sense the enjoyment. I'm just going to tell you, I'm almost into the Covington moment right now. So I've got to back up. 
But yes, I know bread can be alluring. But you think about this. Why would bread be such an attraction to Jesus at this moment? Because he has not eaten. Because he is hungry. For 40 days and 40 nights, he has fasted this extraordinary fast that I cannot even begin to imagine. I mean, you and I, maybe if we miss a meal or two, we get hungry. Go ahead. We get hungry. I mean, you, you, you give us just a little bit in a, in, a, in a long time frame, and you'll hear us use words like starving. Jesus had gone without bread for 40 days and 40 nights. So look at Satan's scheme. I'll start right here with bread. Because that's what I know he would want the most, at least in his physical body. Because remember, Jesus is human. He's not some ghost, not some phantom. He is human like us. He has, he has needs like us. So he says, I'll start right there. I'll start, start with this temptation. That's why I say that Satan looks at our lives and he notes what he thinks we might want at that moment. He looks at our lives and he attacks at that point of weakness. You and I know that. We can give confession and testimony to it. You know, there are certain things I don't struggle with, never have. But that doesn't mean I don't have struggles. There are certain areas of my life that I've never found as weak points, like where I had to be tempted or the temptation would be so powerful. But then there are other moments. There are other places. And see, Satan, what he does is he customizes his attack plan for your life. He notes you. He sees you. He knows what can really get to you. So what does he do? He just puts together a little detailed, customized plan to say this is the attack scheme that we're going to use against this individual. He attacks you in the moment of weakness where you are at your weakest time. So he comes to Jesus and he said, hey, just take these stones, change them to bread. You know, sometimes I thought to myself, well, what is the big deal about that? I mean, I mean, Jesus hungry. I mean, he, certainly he could do it. I mean, what's wrong with eating a little bread in the wilderness? Which says something about what type of Messiah Jesus would be. Would he use his power for his own personal privilege? Would he use his strength, his power, to somehow bring about that which he wanted? How would he respond? Would he take an easy way? Jesus, we know, responds and he says, nope, not going to do that. I'm not going to be that type of Messiah. I'm not, using my, I'm, I'm not here to use my power for my own personal pleasure. That's not what this power is made for. Now, we'll say, often when Satan attempts us, it's something for us that may seem easy or, or we can get to. But certainly, the temptation for us, as I look at this, as, as we think about it, as we try to transfer it over into our lives, is this. Will we get or will we try to do what will satisfy our needs now? 
Like the temptation is to satisfy our needs now. And we live in a culture that's all about satisf instant satisfaction, right? Like gratification. Right now. Don't wait. Right now. I mean, we, we continually, and I'm all about effectiveness in time management. But I mean, we want to make sure our coffee is ready at the right moment so we don't have to wait for it. We now, hey, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we now have pickup services to buy you groceries. I'm not knocking you. Not knocking you at all. I, I did it for the very first time. It was, it was sweet. <laughs> it was sweet. Saved about an hour and a half in a grocery store. Maybe two hours, especially when Leslie put certain things on my list. She knew I didn't know what it was, so I had to look for an extra 30 minutes or so. <laughs> Instant. Now, I'm not telling you, hey, I'm not telling you that the pickup service is sin. Not telling you that at all. But I am saying to you, we live in that kind of world. Instant gratification. That's what we want. So what happens is when Satan comes to us and says, I'll just have it now. Man, you'd enjoy it. There's nothing wrong. Just have a little. Go ahead and take the bread. Go ahead and take it. But I say to you that we need to make sure that we do not seek just to satisfy our own needs immediately. We must be careful. See, what temptation does is say, you'll be happier. Well, yes, it says that. Because that's the only way it can allure you into that area. You'll be happier. You'll enjoy yourself. It'd be awesome. Just go ahead. Just try it. First temptation was about the satisfaction of the son's needs. As the son would use his own power to meet those needs. The second temptation, though, as I read through this, well, look, look what it says. It says in verse 5, the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle or the wing of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And when I read that, I think to myself, that doesn't sound very tempting. I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't like heights. I do not like heights whatsoever. When I am in a high position, it makes me nervous. I know, I know, I do deer hunt and I climb up in tree stands. But sometimes you make a sacrifice for that which is important in life, right? <laughs> I have been known to crawl up in the morning before daylight so that I could not see the ground and wait and crawl back down that night so that I still cannot see the ground, just stay up there the whole day. Doesn't sound too tempting. What is the temptation here? What is the temptation? Well, he says, if you will throw yourself down from the pinnacle or the wing of the temple, you know what the scripture says. Isn't it amazing how Satan can even use scripture and try to distort it to lead us into temptation? But he uses a quote from Psalm 91, 11 and 12. It says, you know that if you were to jump down, the angels of God themselves would come and save you. Because God is not going to allow you to be harmed in any way. You just go ahead and do it. What's the temptation behind that? I want you to think with me for a moment. Jesus would have jumped from that pinnacle 
and the angels would have come. Now, this is at the temple, right? In the middle of Jerusalem itself. The angels would have come and saved him and brought him before the people. You don't think, in a sense, they would have recognized, oh, this must be the Messiah. This may be the Christ. You see, I believe, in a sense, this is a temptation of declaring his Messiahship through some sensational way to the people of God. And yet, Jesus did not come for sensation. Jesus came for sacrifice. He wasn't coming to make a spectacle out of himself. He was coming to make a substitute for you and for me. You see, I think the temptation here really is skip the cross. Jesus, you don't have to do this. If you would do it this way, if you would jump, the people would recognize you as the Christ figure. You would be worshipped. You wouldn't have to do the cross. Skip the cross. Aren't you so grateful? That our Jesus said no. That our Jesus embraced his mission. And he embraced the cross. It was an easy way again. But he chose the more difficult. Be accepted now, Jesus. Isn't that what the world says to us as well? Be accepted now. Do it. Everybody else is. Look, look at all the... Come on. Be a part of our group. Temptation was real. Temptation continues to be real. Look at this third temptation. Third temptation. Devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, hey, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, I think I need to say this at the beginning. I think that's a promise Satan couldn't keep. I will say that. Yes, I know he's the prince of the air, and I know all of that. But just to be honest with you, he has no authority. He has no authority over any kingdom outside of that which has been given to him by the sovereign above. So there's a part of me that says, uh, he's promising something here he can't keep. And Satan will do that in our lives as well. He'll tell you certain things, say, hey, this is what I'm going to do for you. And you'll see afterwards... That promise, well, it wasn't kept. Why? Because he is the father of all lies. But he says to Jesus, he said, do this. Now, Matthew has a different order for the temptations than Luke does. You can go and look at that and notice. I think it is because of the theological import of each one and what they're trying to teach and what they're trying to say. Matthew is writing to a bunch of folks who come from a Jewish background. And for them, the high point of the temptation would have been this idea that Jesus, the Son of God, would have even thought about uh, bowing before the adversary. That's, that's what Matthew is writing. He, he's writing about, like, this is a culmination. This is the culmination of sin, or temptation, that is. Jesus soundly rejects it. He will not again accept any other way except the Father's way. Because to me, this again is the idea of skipping the cross. You can have all the kingdoms of the world if you just do it this way. 
You don't have to go through all those things of sacrifice and suffering. You don't have to do that. Just follow me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And our temptation today, just, just follow me, Satan will say, and I'll give you all power and treasure and just, just, just do these things and I'll give you what you so desperately desire. Well, Jesus faced temptation, just as we face temptation. I wish I could tell you that this was the last time that Satan launched an attack upon the Son of God, but it was not. The Gospel of Luke actually tells us that, that the devil left him for a season, just for a season. And see, you and I, if only like, if only like we could say no and we could defeat it and then it's over with, and then we just go on. Oh, man, that adversary just keeps coming back, does he not? He'll just keep coming at us and hammering us over and over and over. He might leave us for a season, but you can bet he will show back up in our lives. So let me remind you, Jesus faced temptation just as we faced temptation. But Jesus overcame temptation. And because Jesus overcame temptation, listen to me clearly, because he overcame temptation, you and I can overcome temptation. I believe that. Let me just give it to you here as we prepare to close this worship service. First of all, I mean, just the recognition to be tempted to sin is not to sin. Right? Because Jesus did not sin. Temptation itself is not sin. It is giving in to the temptation. So what should we do? What did Jesus do here? As he navigated these temptations, as he remained holy and demonstrated righteousness, he relied on the Spirit. Where do you get that from, Reggie? Where did you read that? Well, verse 1 said, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. <laughs> The Spirit actually led Jesus into the wilderness to commune. In other words, in verse 1, you are told that the Spirit is still in control, in control no matter what. Right? Satan has not taken control of this situation. The Spirit is still leading and guiding. Mark. Mark will use a word that'll, that, that's so strong. It's like the Spirit like cast him out into the wilderness. Uh, some of our English translations will say the Spirit forced him into the wilderness. Because the Spirit was, was alive and well in Jesus' work and ministry, and the Spirit was controlling every aspect of it. And Jesus was yielded to the Spirit of God. And I will say, if you and I are going to overcome sin in our lives, we must first yield to the Spirit of God. We must give ourselves to him. We must allow him to control us. Because after Jesus ascended into heaven, what did he do? He sent back the comforter, the paraclete. That means the one who is called alongside. In other words, the one who is called to walk with you each and every day. And he dwells within you. You have to yield yourself to the spirit of God. 
Some of us Baptists, when we get talking about spirit, we get so scared. You know it. I grew up in those churches like when they talk about the Spirit of God, all of a sudden people begin like kind of reading a little extra scripture or something. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. And He has called us to yield ourselves to Him. That we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not just the indwelling presence. What the word filled means, as Paul uses it to the Ephesians, is that you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit daily. See, it's not how much I have of Him. I got all of the Holy Spirit I'll ever have of Him. I, I, don't, I don't come in the office one day and say, Hey, just so you all know, I only got 70% of Him today, okay? I don't get in the pulpit and say, Y'all better pray. I only got 30% of the Holy Spirit. No. Guess what? When the Holy Spirit comes in our hearts and lives, we get all of Him. The problem is, how much of us does He have? It's not how much Him. I got Him. It's whether or not I have submitted myself willingly to the Spirit to help me in these moments of temptation. Jesus had been driven into the wilderness by the Spirit because the Spirit was in control. And he was yielding himself to the Spirit. So he relied upon the Spirit. He relied upon the Scripture. I don't know if you noticed that, but each time Satan came at him, Jesus would use a Scripture. Specifically, Scriptures from Deuteronomy that he quoted here. He would push back. I mentioned a moment ago, Satan used Scripture. He even tried to use one from the Psalms. Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Satan tried to use it. But Jesus knew the Scripture. And see, there are people that will lead you to astray today, and what they'll try to do is justify their actions by the Scripture. I can't tell you how many times that I've seen individuals that knew they were doing wrong, but they had pulled a Scripture out on me. Well, you know this says this. And now in our, in our age of social media, you know what they do? They justify it now on social media. Oh, look at what the Scripture says. Look at what the Scripture says. I'm going to tell you that you can take any Scripture and make it mean what you want it to mean. That is the reason it is important for you to seek the whole counsel of God and understand it in its context and not just be trying to pull out a Scripture here and there. Jesus knew the Scripture. You know why? Because Jesus had given them the Scripture. Jesus was the one who had uttered these words. And now Satan was going to try to distort it back toward him. And Jesus would use the scripture. And I say to you that when you're in the moment of temptation, you yield yourself to the spirit and you rely upon his word to guide you. You don't be led. Listen, I know this is hard to say, but I'm going to say it. Don't be led even by a preacher. I'm there for you, to encourage you, but you need to always, always check the Scripture to make sure that what I'm giving you and the counsel that I'm giving you is right. You don't listen just to a counselor. I love counselors. I send people to counselors. I love them. I love people that are friends. I, I, I think it's great to have those people. God will use them in your life, but I'm saying ultimately you need to look at the Scripture. Jesus pushed back on him because he relied upon the Scripture. And I just say this. He relied upon the sonship. 
What do I mean by that? He relied upon the sonship, S-O-N-S-H-I-P, the sonship that he had in the Father, from the Father. What did I tell you happened right before this temptation? The baptism. The affirmation of the Father into the Son's life. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus knew his identity. He wasn't going to be pushed or pulled around by Satan. He wasn't going to have to try to grasp, as Paul will say later on to the Philippians. He'll say, you know, he, he doesn't have to try to grasp for some type of privilege or position. Jesus already has it. He is the Son. He is the Son of God. He knew his identity. It had already been proclaimed in the baptism. He was secure in who he is. Because I'm going to say to you, if you're not secure in who you are in Christ, then that temptation will take you and toss you from here to there, and you will struggle and struggle and struggle. You need to know who you are. And you need to know that you are in him. When you are in him, and again, you have all you need, you're not out seeking more treasure. You're not out seeking more power. You're not out seeking more pleasure because you know what? He is it. He's all you need. He is your enjoyment day in and day out. Even Satan had recognized that he was the son. Go with me just a moment to a little hill in North Mississippi. There's a little school there called Blue Mountain College. You may never have heard of it. You should have. <laughs> Sit in a class for a moment, a Greek class, with Dr. Douglas Bain. Hear Dr. Bain talk about these different constructions and the different grammar of the Scripture. And he'll, all of a sudden, you'll hear him say, Reggie, what kind of conditional clause is this that you find here in Matthew chapter 4? When Satan says, if you are the Son of God, what, what kind of conditional clause would you call that in the Greek? And of course, I was a very studious young man. <laughs> After I'd gotten it wrong three times, I would have looked at Dr. Bain. And said, Dr. Bain, I think that's a first-class conditional sentence. He would have said, yes, it is. And what does that mean, Reggie? It means it affirms the reality of what's being spoken about. Satan wasn't saying, if you are the Son of God. In the original language, what he was saying is, since you are the Son of God. Satan knew it too. Satan knew who he was. That's the reason he knew what would happen. He knew that the stones would become bread. Satan never doubted it. Isn't it amazing that sometimes we have less faith than Satan does? He never doubted what he could do. He knew he could change the stones into bread. He knew the angels would come. He knew that. Because he was the son of God. And whereas the first Adam failed, get this, the second Adam was victorious. He overcame. The first Adam gave in to sin. The second Adam overcame sin. The, whereas the national son, that is Israel itself, failed. Think about it. 40 days in the wilderness that they experienced, or the 40 years they experienced that corresponds to the 40 days of Jesus, 
Here in the wilderness where the nation of Israel failed, Jesus overcame and succeeded. And I want to leave you with a few scriptures as we close. Thinking about the purity, the sinlessness of our Lord and Savior. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Chapter 7 verse 26 of Hebrews for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Peter declared him to be the Holy One of God in John 6, 69. Peter also, as he was writing his own little letter, 1 Peter 2, 22, said there was no guile found on his lips. John said, in him there is no sin. Paul said that he knew no sin. You see, he is the unique Son of God. He is the Holy One that we worship. And because he was sinless, he is the only one worthy to provide us salvation. Because of Him, because of Him, we can overcome temptation. Because He had the power over death, hell, and the grave. And because now we, through our faith and through our absolute submission to Him, because of that, we can overcome sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. As you look at it, it says... No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He will give you wisdom. Sometimes you'll run. You'll flee, right? That's what the scripture says. I will remind you, when you flee, though, don't leave your forwarding address to him. Just run. Get out. There are times when you will stand with the scripture. He'll give you that wisdom. But you can overcome. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For whatever, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He was the Holy One. He is the Holy One. And because of that, you and I can have holiness and righteousness in our lives. Don't just, don't just capitulate to sin. Don't surrender to it. My friends, you, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have totally submitted yourself to Him, that means the Holy Spirit lives within you and you are a part of the family of God and you are more than overcomers. You can overcome the sin, the temptation that comes at you. No matter what the adversary comes at you with. I pray, I pray that we will reject the temptations that will come even this week. Because I'm going to tell you, tomorrow morning, this evening, it's going to come. Will you reject it through the only power in the universe that gives you that strength? Would you reject it? Would you give yourself to him? Let's pray. Father.
We pray this morning. We pray, first of all, for those in this place that have not truly or completely given themselves to you. They may have gone through some act. They may have pretended that they are Christians. They may have said in so many ways that they wanted to follow you, but, Lord, they never really gave their heart to you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just work within those individuals to lead them to true salvation. For those of us who are saved in this place, oh God, each day can be a struggle. Temptation will come at us. The target that's on our back just seems to be enlarging each day as the adversary comes. God, help us to follow your spirit, to be rooted in your scripture, and to understand your sonship, your daughtership, that we are part of your family because of what your one and only son did for us. God, help us to face this world. Help us to show your victory each and every day. In Jesus' name.